What is church? Is it a building? With some pews? A piano? And stained glass? Or is it something more? 2,000 years ago, the church was born. It wasn't made up of the famous, the rich, or the powerful. It was made up of everyday people who passionately believed in the message of Jesus. It was the beginning of a revolution of love and freedom that would change the world forever. In 369 AD, the church built the first hospital as a place to care for those who cannot care for themselves. Today, the church is the largest single provider of healthcare in history. The church was the first to stand up for the rights of children, creating the first and largest orphanage system in the world. 100 out of the first 110 universities in America were founded as Christian institutions. Places like Harvard, Dartmouth, Yale, and Princeton. Much of the world's greatest art, architecture, literature, and music has been shaped by the church. But the impact of the church isn't just ancient history. Today, the church is stronger than ever and continues to impact every corner of the world. Over 300,000 churches in America and almost 5 million churches around the world stand ready to be instruments of change, to do what governments could never do. Every day, the church brings food and fresh water to millions of people across the world. It has a renewed passion to help widows and orphans and fights to free slaves in every part of the world. It stands ready as a first responder on the scene to provide relief for victims of disaster. The ripple of Jesus' impact can be clearly seen and felt in the church today. And it's made up of people like me and you. Today, you didn't just come to a building. You came to a revolution 2,000 years in the making. The world is facing as much trouble as ever. But we are not afraid. We were created for such a time as this. We will continue to do what we've always done. Proclaim the message of Jesus to help a world that needs him so desperately. Welcome. 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 Welcome to church. Welcome to church. Welcome to the revolution. <laughs> right? Welcome to Grace Covenant Church. And happy birthday. Happy birthday, Grace Covenant Church, where every believer is a minister. We're celebrating that this week. It's a historic Sunday for us. This week and next week, we're going to celebrate 50 years of God's grace and mercy using this church to bring God's grace and mercy to the people around Austin and around the world. This, this is an amazing story that we have to share and to celebrate. I hope you guys are in kind of that mood. Anyway, it all started, I'm going to tell you our, kind of our history since so many people don't know it. It all started in the fall of 1968. There were 18 people meeting at Joe McElhaney's house, Dr. Joe McElhaney, and they were studying the book of Galatians together. They wanted a deeper sense of community and fellowship, and they had a hunger, a hunger to know the Word of God and to know God in a deeper way. And they uh, heard of a man named uh, Dick Flayton. He had applied for a job at First Evangelical Free Church, and they rejected that because he was too young. And they thought, well, let's bring him in and see if he could help us understand the book of Galatians. And they asked him to give a quick summary of the book. He was attending Dallas Seminary at the time, and the response was, wow, wow. And they asked Dick to come back the next spring and do uh, a study of Romans, chapter 6 through 8. And when he did, there were, I don't know, around 35 to 40 people attending that Bible study. And towards the end of that study, they said, what if we built a church around expositional preaching and the, and the value that every believer is a minister? And Dick and Ann Flayton said, I'd be interested in that. We could do that. You want to do that together? And they did. 
One of the original members of Grace in that original Bible study was a gentleman named Phil Mockford, and he had developed an old, a survey of the Bible going through uh, the covenants of the Bible. They're called covenants between God and man, and it, it starts with Adam, and it, he, he did this, I think, 14, 16-week series, and they called it Walk Through the Bible. Named it Walk Through the Bible. Sold that name to Walk Through the Bible later on. But uh, some of the guys in, in the original group, and in, in the early group, they would go and teach this survey of the Bible in living rooms. And sometimes they would fill cafetoriums in elementary schools around the city because people wanted to know the big picture of God. It starts with a covenant with Adam and ends with the Grace Covenant. And that's how we got our name. Grace Covenant Church because of that Bible survey. On September 14th, 1969, Grace Covenant Church started to meet officially in the Mercedes-Benz dealership. Mercedes-Benz of Austin. That's the name of it now. It was called Continental Cars at the time. They would push cars out of, of the showroom and they would have a Bible study there and teach a church time. The, the children's ministry, the nursery was... Some of the sales guys' offices, if you can imagine. I'm going to need to talk to the manager. It smells like a diaper in here. Well, it wasn't long before the college kids at the University of Texas found out about this church that meets in the showroom of a Mercedes-Benz dealership. And so they started showing up. There were more college kids than some of the adults that were attending. And the church continued to grow. They bought houses all around that showroom and used that for Sunday school classes and the, in the children's ministry as well. For eight and a half years, Grace Covenant Church met at that dealership. It was a great time. And then in April of 1978, they purchased this land out in the country, and now it's the center of Austin. When they sold the land for the parking lot so that Echelon could build their facilities on that, and I think the building that, uh, that's farther down... We kept the parking rights. They paid for the parking, but we get to park there. We moved the present location to expand the ministry of Grace Covenant Church to all of Austin and all the world. Because missions was always a value, a high value at Grace Covenant Church. We have given millions upon millions of dollars to missions and missionaries around the world. We currently have uh, 84 missionaries around the world serving in various capacities. 18 of those 84 uh, missionaries have served for uh, more than 40 years, long-term missions. 45 of the 82 came from this church. They were in our youth ministry or our college ministry or an adult ministry in some context. We've lost some of our greatest leaders, our elders, to mission uh, events. Grace Covenant Church became a launch pad for ministries. This is how we lost one of our, our, uh, our elders. Mission Possible, a, a fabulous ministry to the people in Austin that are either homeless or without a job or in, in a situation that needs a specialty help. And Tim Pinson rose to that challenge and started Mission Possible over 25 years ago. We had a Christian school that met here on campus for over 25 years. Any of you guys or gals go to a thing called Community Bibles Study? In Austin, Grace Covenant Church started that, kind of. I mean, Dick and Ann Flayton started that. After Dick left the pulpit, he started Community Bible Study. It's been going on ever since 1987. We've started churches around the city. We started Westlake Bible Church that became Austin Ridge. We started Hill Country Bible Church. 
We started a church in Round Rock, one in Georgetown, and one in Bernie. Because Grace Covenant Church wanted to teach the world about the love of God and the power of forgiveness. It was the church, the church. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you unspeakable peace. I will give you joy. I will give you a a, a passion, a purpose in life that's worth living for. I will give you a hope that you would die for. That happens in the church. The church is Jesus' idea. This is Jesus' idea. This is his legacy. The church is Jesus' family, he says. He says we get to become, through the church, his brothers and sisters. The church is God's presence on earth today. The church is the place. Where else would you go? The church is the place where you go and you learn about the majesty and the mystery of the triune God. The church is the place that spreads the word and teaches people about the value of human life because every human life is made in the image of God Almighty. It is a place where we convince people that they can have forgiveness. It is the place for restoration of honor and, and where that is restored. It is the hope that we have for justice, that there is a final end, and the end includes a wedding between the church and Jesus Christ, the groom. Today, I want to tell you about the church. I want to tell you about this church and how this church has played a part in the big church. The church starts with the first conversation where it's ever mentioned. Jesus takes his disciples. It's towards the end of his ministry. It's somewhat of an exam for them. And he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples respond, some say you're John the Baptist, and others say you're Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he said, yeah, but you guys, who do you guys say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This is Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus responds in 17, and he says, verse 17, he says, and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, and blessed for flesh and blood has, has not revealed this to you, but the Father in heaven, he's revealed it to you. And look at this sentence. And I tell you this, you are Peter, synonym for rock. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That sentence, is the, one scholar said, is the most discussed sentence in the most discussed paragraph in the four Gospels, right there. And I tell you, you, Peter, that upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And the disciples at that time must have thought, what? Church? Ecclesia? How do you even spell that? This is a new word. This word has never been seen in this language In any literature, not just the Bible, but in any literature, Jesus is inventing this right here. They're like, what what is this thing, this, this church thing that you're talking about? And no other religious leader has promoted something like that. I'm going to start this new thing. Moses never said, I'm going you know, to build my synagogue. Or, or the Buddha didn't say, I'm going to build the temple. Muhammad never said, I'm going to build my mosque. Jesus says, 
It is completely different. He says, I'm going to build a community. I'm going to build a group. And it's all-inclusive. And it's for the purpose of love and truth. And we're not going to just tolerate. We are going to embrace all things that are beautiful in the eyes of God. Every gender, every country, every nation, every ethnicity, every culture, every socioeconomic status, right? We're, that is the church. Everybody's invited this. And we're going to make family out of enemies, like Jews and Greeks or slaves and non-slaves. Jesus is going to say, because of the power of the Spirit will be coming later to this church, we're going to do things that no other institution can do. We're, we're going to... We're going to Give people the, the power to overcome. We're not going to enrich ourselves at the, at the expense of other people. We're going to sacrifice ourselves and our resources for the enrichment of other people. We're going to bring the power of God's love into every culture, into every corner of the world. We're going to bring justice to the oppressed. We're going to bring honor to those that are shamed. The early church... Would, had the courage, the church, oh, the courage of the church. The early church had the courage to defy Nero while they prayed for Nero. There hasn't been anything like the church. There never will be. And if you can imagine what it must have been like back then, that Jesus, you know, you know we're in a startup culture. Picture this, you know, startup, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, Shark Tank, the original, Right? And he shows up and he says, look, like, because it's not like this has been around. It, no one had even thought of something like this. And Jesus shows up and he says, okay, here's the thing. I mean, he's a penniless carpenter, right? And he shows up and he goes, here's, here's my idea. Now, just listen to me, okay? You're going to love this. I'm going to start a movement that's going to last thousands and thousands of years. And it's going to launch more hospitals and more research universities and more relief organizations. It's going to invent orphanages. And it's going to do this and all the while inspiring more art in its various applications than anything in the history of humanity. It will invade every country, every culture. There will be billions of followers in thousands of years from now. Okay. Okay, what's your plan? I'm going to love like no one has ever loved. And I'm going to live the life that you were designed to live. And I'm going to heal, and I'm going to teach, and I'm going to die ugly. But I'll be raised again. I will conquer death. And there it is. There's the power of the church. The one who conquers death says, have you met my bride? How big is this church project? How important is it to Jesus? Oh, it's, Jesus is all in on this. There isn't a plan B. Jesus is putting all his eggs in this one church basket and says, this is how the Spirit will revolutionize and change the world, the church. And if you, can, if you could possibly imagine 
what those disciples were thinking when Jesus might have gone into his explanation of what the church is. Their souls must have been exploding. And the idea of going back to a fish industry or collecting taxes or accumulating wealth for, I don't know, just security or so that it looks good, some of those things, those can be means, but they could never be an end. Not after this conversation, not after the, the, the proposal that Jesus is rolling out. It's the church. Everything is about the church. The church is a unique thing in this lifetime. It is both the means and an end. It's an end in this life to serve her. It is a means to glorify God. Three things I want you to look at. I think, I think they're profound. We just go over them if, if we're not careful. Three twos that we can learn and live our lives around. When you look at this sentence, verse 18, where he says, you know, upon this church I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. That sentence. Let me ask you, according to that sentence, who does the church belong to? Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to build some churches. I'm going to build a bunch of church. Peter's going to have a church for the deniers, and, and Thomas is going to have the church for the doubters, and Mary's going to have the church for type A compulsive workers. No. Doesn't have that. It's Jesus' church. And we, we love him, and we learn about him, and we serve Jesus, and we point people to Jesus. Our goal and purpose is to become like Jesus in all of life. That's the way it is. That's the way church is. At Grace, it it is a good thing at Grace. Here's what we've we've never been known as, oh, is that Dick Flayton's church? Oh, Oh, that's Max Anders' church? Oh, is that Jim Rose's church? Is it that other guy's church, Matt, whatever? No. It's always been... Grace, well, it's not always been one. It's, it's, it was Grace Covenant for a while, and then it was Grace 360. That's our address. It's not our name. And then it's kind of like, and then it's Grace. After we built this building, people said, did you change the name of the church, like, to Grace? Truth be told, covenant is an eight-letter word, and we put the sign on two sides. We saved $15,000 at least by just... <laughs> calling it grace. And now all the churches are, have nicknames and have kept it short. So we kind of led that for financial reasons. So we're still technically Grace Covenant Church, but we just go by grace. It's cheaper. <laughs> the church belongs to Jesus Christ. And if you look at the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, everyone's welcome. Everybody is invited. If you look at the, in the ministry of Jesus Christ, he is scandalized by the value that anybody can play. He gets in trouble for it. And, and because he's, he's a religious leader and he's a rabbi, he's a Jewish rabbi, and yet he will love and embrace and talk to and touch anyone. He, he, Jesus goes to Gentiles and to Jews and Samaritans. He goes to lepers. He goes to, to the unclean. He goes to beggars. He talks to and dines with prostitutes, tax collectors, slaves, anyone that will listen. He's famous for this. 
He's criticized for this. Uh, Teacher, uh, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance to the truth, and you show no deference, and you show deference to no one. <laughs> he, he welcomes sinners. People are like, we've got to stop this guy. He welcomes sinners. He eats with them. That's the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's the ministry of his church. The last conversation Jesus has before he dies is not with his mother, not with saints, but to a man next to him hanging on a cross that admits that he has earned the right to die this terrible death by his own admission. And he says to Jesus, will you remember me? And Jesus' last conversation with the human beings is, yeah, I'll remember you. You're in. You're with me. Everybody's welcome. That's his style. That's the style of the groom. It's the style of the bride. He welcomes everyone. And you're welcome here at Grace, and it's always been that way. And if you've come here today because you love Jesus, welcome. If you've come here because someone loves Jesus and they drug you here against your will, you're welcome. If you're, if you're here because you prayed last night, dear God, help the Longhorns, help them now. <laughs> then that works too. You're welcome. And here's why. Because there's more going on here than you know. You're here today because God wants you here. He wants you to hear that you are welcome at church, at grace, at any church, any real church. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you love him, everyone's welcome in your life. There's no outsiders. There's no culture. There's no gender. There's no race that is out of bounds for your desire to love them and enjoy that person. At grace, actually in the whole church, but at, at grace, every believer's a minister. And our eyes are constantly open for opportunities to build a relationship because people, people are just, I mean, there's so many people because of God's spirit leading them. I'm not sure how that works, but God's spirit leading them. They are one conversation, one spiritual conversation from surrendering their life to Jesus Christ. They're one person from knowing Christ. They're one relationship. They're one prayer. Someone coming to them and saying, would you mind if I prayed with you or for you? That's all it takes. And so every believer is a minister, and at Grace, everyone is someone to be ministered to. God has used Grace Covenant Church through the year by his grace, by his mercy, because he owns us. And because we've had an attitude of everyone's welcome. Second point, if you look at the passage, you get the single sentence. It says, you know, upon this rock I will build my church. Who does the building? Who's going to build Jesus' church? I will build my church. Jesus is the one building it. We don't, I know it's pretty easy to look at church history or just look at the churches around you. kind of go, well, if he's building the church, eh. You know, there's not a lot of healthy churches. It's like, I know. Like, I've been in a church for a long time. You don't need to tell me. I mean, like, we're messed up. I mean, you have no idea how crazy this church is. And that's kind of the point 
Okay, if Jesus wasn't building the church, this place would have died. I can tell you five times, and it's only because we don't have time, but five times where this church should have just died. Like died quick and ugly, or sometimes we voted that we could die slowly, you know, and painfully. And we would just age out, and the last guy would do his own funeral and turn the lights out on the way out. That we voted on that. And look, I should know, I've been here 30 years. Like, I know where the skeletons are buried. I buried most of them. I got a shovel in my office across the street, and it's handy, okay? But the point is, look at us, three generations strong, with a great future. And it's all evidence that Jesus is building this church. Because if he weren't, oh, we'd have torn it up a long time ago. We'd have torn it up a long time ago. We tried. We really tried. And so, like, the application in this in a lot of ways is you can't come into church, this church, any church, you can't come into it and say, I've got an agenda. Here's what I think Grace ought to be doing and where she ought to be going. No, that's not how it works. You ask the groom what you could do to serve the bride you got to be very careful. You must be careful when you talk about his bride. And so you listen to the groom speak to you. That's how you lead a church, and you say, okay, now I'm either going to try to lead in that, I'm going to try to follow in that, and if I can't lead or follow, I'm going to stay out of the way. That's for sure. That's how church leadership looks. Jesus is always building his church. If you look at church history, you can see that when all things are dark and hopeless, he's working on building his church in some recesses, in some secret unseen place, like the basement of some uh, some warehouse in China or in a living room of a doctor in Austin. He builds his church. He cares. The third thing in this passage, I will build, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail. How powerful is this church of Jesus going to be? I would say exceptionally powerful, exceptionally. The gates of Hades shall not prevail. I mean, he's staying, he's right there at Caesarea Philippi, so it's the opening of the gates of hell, right there, that he's standing in front of it, and and it's the figure of speech, if nothing else, saying the most powerful enemy of mankind, death, evil, the church will defeat that. And he, listen, it's, he's not saying if evil is finally breaks through its gates and is unleashed, the church is going to be able to find a way to hide, you know, like in a game of dodgeball in a corner somewhere. It's not what he says. He says, no, 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 the power of the church will be unleashed, and it will be on the march, and the gates of hell, defensive strategy, will not prevail as we huff and puff and blow the gates of hell down. That's what he's saying. The church is on the march. And if we serve with, with love and mercy and grace and compassion and humility, we can serve God's cause for the church in these ways. We've done that here at, at Grace. 1973, when abortion became legal, women in this church, using their mind and their money, one was Dr. McElhaney's wife, started Austin Life Care because they wanted to bring love and compassion and healing 
to very difficult pregnancy issues. And they, they, they wanted to get on top of that early on because they knew there was a spiritual war going on with this subject. And if, listen, if you look at the history of mankind, whenever one group of people says to another group of people because of their age, whether they're too young or too old or they're the wrong color, some race, when one group of people says to another group of people, you are not human and you have no voice, there is a demon in that. There has to be. When you treat an image bearer, someone in the, in the image of Jesus Christ, in the image of God, and you treat them like they're less human, they don't come up with that on their own. And so someone has to speak up for these people that can't speak for themselves. And the church does that. This church has done that historically like no other church, like nothing I've ever seen. I remember the, one of the first uh, experiences I had here in some respects, uh, it was within a year of, of coming here. It was October 7th, 1990. I remember it pretty well. We were participating in something that was not just citywide with other churches, but nationally, a, a national campaign for a very quiet, polite protest about whether or not we could have a conversation about the sanctity of human life. And so our church got behind that, and, it was a, it was, it, and we showed up to this like four times, four times the size of this church showed up. I don't know where we came from. Like it, it was a beautiful experience. We just wanted to give a voice to those who couldn't speak for themselves. And I remember that day vividly because it was a long, hard day for me, for us. In some respects, the youth ministry was kind of the, the working branch of that, and I had to get up early. I taught the, uh, the youth Sunday school class, and then we were out and, and passing out, you know, the various signs. It was October 7th. I swear it was over 95 degrees, anywhere from 90 to 95 degrees. And then, you know, Melinda was having a hard time keeping up. She was, I don't know, uh, nine months pregnant or so. And I had to schlep her all up and down Lamar Boulevard. And so we held those signs for several hours. And then when I got home, I was really tired. But Melinda was holding a Bible study for our junior high girls Bible study. And while she was in the living room, I was required to stay quiet in our bedroom. I finally, later on, I got to sleep that night. And then she wakes me up at 2 o'clock in the morning and she says, Honey, our, my water broke. It's time. And I said, well, I know, but these things take a long time, and so maybe we could just get out of here around 7. And then she said, it's time. And then, and then we were at the hospital when I came out of my adrenaline rush. That's why I remember October 7th, 1990. It was a very hard day for me. I'm, I'm going to forgive her. I'm going to. In 1992, uh, some sex educational curriculum people came in uh, that were kind of inflicted on Austin Independent School District, and they had just failed in New York City because the material was too filthy for New York City. And so they thought, well, if it's too bad for them, it's probably going to be just right for Austin. And, and it was vile. And the school district said, let's set up a committee uh, to a task force to evaluate the plan. And it wasn't a strategic plan by anyone here at Grace Covenant Church, I assure you. It wasn't like Max Anders said, release the Krakens. You know, he just said, nothing happened really from the pulpit. 
people, here's what happened. We have a church full of people that they believe every believer is a minister, and they saw a ministry for the preservation of innocence out there that needed an answer, and so they responded. Three of the people on that, that committee were from Grace, and they'd never, they'd never met each other. And one of those three was a guy named Dr. Joe McElhaney. There he is again. The expert witness on the opposing side, he ended up coming to Christ through one of the people that was a friend of Grace Covenant Church. We had students in our high school testify at the event. We had our, our female youth staff person that worked it was at the University of Texas. She testified. Our college ministry at that time was run by uh, some, some families, um, volunteers, and two of the guys were in law school at the University of Texas at the time. And if you don't think there was a spiritual war going on in this, this discussion about the innocence of child of children, when they gave some various involvements and they were very convincing, articulate and intelligent, and they were winning, the attorney for Planned Parenthood went to them and said, we're going to do everything we can to make sure you never work in this town or in this state. Everyone who was part of that endeavor paid a price in one way or another. Every boy, every girl, every man, every woman. And you ask them, why in the world, why don't you just keep your head down and ride this out? And they would say this, because Jesus said 2,000 years ago that upon this rock I will build this church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And so we're not afraid. We're going to do this. When the disciples heard this, they must have thought, oh, man, I want in. I want to be a part of this. I want to be part of something so big. This is the biggest thing that could happen on this planet, to be part of the church. Now it's our turn, right? That was then. This is now. This is our moment. We need to, you know, if, if, this, if you're exploring church and you're exploring this church, then good, keep going. Do due diligence on that. But if this is your church, you need to get involved, right? Connect with other people. Find a way to connect. In one of our communities, those are our Sunday school classes, one of maybe the Bible studies that go on midweek. Some, just get connected. Find yourself a small group. Don't be a chronic visitor is the point. It's the church. This is the local expression of the, of the universal bride of Jesus Christ. Serve in some way. Why wouldn't you serve in the church? Is there a greater, whatever you call it, essence on this planet that you could serve? No, there is not. You should serve the church. Use the gifts that God's given you in the context of straightening the dress of the bride of Jesus Christ. Give. I, <laughs> see what it means that you cannot outgive God. Just try him. Like, just like, try to live, live by faith in such a way that you can live within your means. But not only that, but I would say, go way past that and say, look, I'm going to give to your bride. What are you going to do about it? And see what happens. Just see what happens when you honor the bride of Jesus Christ with your resources. There's no better place to give. There's no better place to serve. There's no better place to connect. What, this, stop and think about this. What Jesus said at Caesarea Philippi 
for in front of these 12 men and the other followers that were with him. We're doing that today, right here. That's what we do here. This isn't a meeting. This isn't a Lions Club. This is the church. This is where we connect. This is where we serve. This is where we give. This is where we love. This is our time. This is our day. This is it. My first experience with this church, I heard about it when I was in, at the university when I graduated. I, all, all the cool kids went to Grace. I was going to Mass. Uh, and I was still hoping to be a priest at the time. And then when that didn't work out, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go to seminary anyway because I was, it was in a good season of life where there was no easier time to learn the Bible and, and how to read it effectively, try to understand it. And so, but while I was going to seminary, hoping to come back to law school and maybe practice real estate law, I was captivated by, the idea, by this, this doctrine of the church. I, I, was, I was impressed with it in such a way that I thought, I've got to make a run at this. Before, you know, I officially commit to this other path of life, I, I need to see if, if this is for me. Maybe I could serve her vocationally, not just as a volunteer. And so on my spring break of 1985, my junior year, I, I drove to Austin, and I met with Dick Flayton and John Babcock, the executive pastor, who went to a Mexican restaurant down the street here. I'm still digesting it. It was a huge meal. <laughs> And we just, we just talked about the possibility that I could come here and, and start a church for Grace Covenant Church. And these two guys like, sure, we'll help you shake the bushes. I remember that phrase. Sure, we'll help you shake the bushes. Why not? And then after lunch meeting, I drove down to Westlake and met with this pastor there, Sid Buzzle. And I said, hey, I think I might be interested in working in the church. And I was wondering if you guys would be interested in starting a church and he said, sure, why not? Why wouldn't we start another church in Austin, Texas? It's a lot harder than you think. And I went, oh, okay. It was. <laughs> and the reason I went to Grace Covenant Church and the reason I went to Westlake Bible Church is because I wanted to be part of a church that God was using with his grace and his mercy to show grace and mercy to all the people that it could touch not just in Austin or Texas, but in the world. Happy birthday, Grace Covenant Church. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for your everlasting mercy upon this church and how in spite of us, in spite of lack of understanding or wisdom or in spite of pride and arrogance, you have allowed us to maintain a sense of your power in the things that we have done. We are grateful. Lord, I'd ask that you would continue to bless her. I'd ask that you would help us be part of either through leading or following or just getting out of the way of everything you've ever dreamt when you think of Grace Covenant Church in Austin, Texas. Lord, help, let, us, let us serve her in a way that pre presents her to you as without spot or wrinkle, washed by the word and presented to you as a gift. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you.
for this wonderful experience that we get to be part of. Help us seize this moment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.